Welcome back to the Behind the Mic podcast, the podcast for commentators to talk about sports outside the booth. My name is Jordan Smith, alongside Colton. Welcome back. Uh, really, not not the same stuff, but we got a new fuse. We got some new stuff. Got some more NFL stuff. We're gonna kind of start off with um, Texans and Cowboys. Man, what a game! That was a crazy game. All the way to overtime. Two weeks in a row that game went to overtime. Is a crazy feat. I'm glad they came out on top, though. Yeah, no kidding. That was a um, that was a good win for Texans franchise, the fans, the city, all of it. We'll get into more a uh, little bit more of that here in just a little bit. Going to talk some Major League Baseball. Talk the postseason. We'll talk some NBA as the season's coming up. Pretty much within the next week, week and a half or so. We'll recap Piney Woods. You know, of course, as usual, 56-21 win over SFA. And then we will conclude with a segment that I know Colton especially likes, the rant of the week. Uh, So that's basically kind of how the show is going to go. So let's go ahead and get started uh, with some Sunday night football talk. Texans and Cowboys, like Colton mentioned, Texans win it in overtime. 1916, the final, they win the Battle of I-45. It has been dubbed for around the nation and around the state of Texas. Second straight week, though, they've been in an overtime game, and now... The Texans, who were just 0-3 two weeks ago, are now standing one game under 500. Honestly, looking at this game, Colton, this was a game. This was a must-win game, a must-needed game, much-needed win for the Texans. Yeah, it definitely was a. a it was a good must-win, must-win game. Almost, you know, save you from that one and four start. You know, you start two and three. That's always better. Uh, you know, the Cowboys aren't the best team, but they do look like a good team. The Texans looked like a really good team until they got to the red zone. Uh, you know, just kind of wheels fell off the bus. It was crazy, you know, three times and all three times we could not get the ball in. The game shouldn't have went to overtime. It did. They still came out on top. As long as they start working on their red zone offense, I think this team could be something that, you know, gives other teams a run for their money in regular time, not just overtime. Yeah, you mentioned the red zone offense, and that was honestly watching the game the whole night, sitting there back in my hometown with my family, watching the game. That was the one thing that upset me the most about the entire game was the lack of red zone offense. They get inside the 20, they get inside the 10, they get inside the 5, heck, they get to the 1-yard line, they get to the half-yard line. They can't get inside the end zone. And one of the things that made me so mad was one particular play call. You're on the one-yard line, and guess what Bill O'Brien decides to do? He decides to run a pass play to the outside. Hmm, where have we seen that before? The Super Bowl, you Seattle, know, New England. The Raiders did the same thing this week, too. Yes. They so, gave it to Derek So Carr. many teams decide, hey, let's pass the ball on the half-yard line, on the one-yard line, when we have a capable running back, Alfred Blue this week, who's a good running back, not always a starter. He's usually known as a second-string, third-string guy, but a reliable back that they all love. Bill O'Brien adores him, and they don't ground and pound it at the one-yard line. Yeah, that surprised me. I was, you know, expecting that. Maybe, you know, O'Brien was thinking that the Cowboys were expecting it to kind of throw him off guard. Those calls always throw you off. I don't know. At the end of the day, you should have probably ran the ball. It would have given you a better shot. Blues always seem like that running back that is a ground and pound is going to just turn his back and dig his dig his heels into the ground and just take off and try for more yards no matter what. I think, 
you know, at, at that game, that was a, you needed to do that. It surprised me, you know, out of three times, they still didn't do it. So it's one of those, like, just better play calls will get you more points. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's something that, talking about Alfred Blue's kind of running style, that's something that he's really inherited uh, much since uh, his days at LSU. That's kind of how he built his foundation before heading into the NFL, which is kind of like that bull rush mentality of just running right in the guy's pile, driving over him and forcing himself to get those few extra yards while pushing you back and having you hang on to him while he's dragging you across the ground. You know, that's kind of that's kind of his style of running, so I didn't really understand why why they didn't go to him. But I will say, um, <laughs> man, that overtime play, DeAndre oh Hopkins, my. as the Texans call it, the spin cycle, J.J. Watt and DeAndre Hopkins on Twitter putting them in the spin cycle, as they called them, that was, that was something. Not only in that, that moment, that was huge, but not going to lie, personally, that was great for me because I have him as my <laughs> fantasy wide receiver. So that got See, me a, a few bonuses on that one. <laughs> the, the guy I was playing had him as his fantasy receiver, so I was on the other end of that. Yeah. I was I was very happy. The only thing, I love DeAndre Hopkins. He's an amazing receiver. But the only thing I don't like is the way he carries that ball. God, yeah, that scares me. So, oh my <laughs> gosh, so loose. You know, it's, he's just it's, out there it's, spinning and yeah. doing all this with the ball just in his hand holding it. It's at the, like, come on, man. Tuck it in. Like, yeah, yeah. One little tap and that ball's gone. You know, it's funny because um, I think Deshaun does that a little bit too, uh, especially when he starts to, either when a play breaks down or when it's a design quarterback run. When he starts to run at first until he gets, you know, sometimes the entire run or sometimes until he's right about to get hit, he'll just run freely with that ball just like DeAndre. And it's like, dude. Tuck it in. Clemson, Clemson brother, like is wearing off. On yeah, the, <laughs> the Dabo Sweeney yeah. effect. <laughs> and he's just, you know, as long as it keeps working, it's good. But the second it stops, I hope O'Brien is like, hey, tuck that ball away. Yeah, yeah, that is, that is true. I will say though, looking at the other side of the ball for the Texans, man, that defense was something else. But Nardrick McKinney, I don't feel like gets enough credit for his performance in the game. He led the team, I think, in. Four tackles, uh, I think four, no, four or six tackles. He had two assists on the night as well. He had a half sack to his name as well. Uh, he did really well in that front seven for the Texans. Yeah, he did. Uh, I mean, you know, when you play on a team with Jadavion Clowney and J.J. Watt, odds out, you're probably going to get overlooked a little bit. But you, you have to look at those guys right there, you know, Bernardrick McKinney's and the other defensive players on the team that people don't remember, but, you know, when something happens, they're like, hey, that was pretty good. Uh, I, I do think our corners need a little work. They did hold Dak very good. Uh, he never – I think he didn't make a connection to Cole Beasley until just about overtime, and if he did, it wasn't very many. Uh, I like the way Kiki QT is playing, too, on the offensive side. You know, he's not giving up. Um, you know, we had the interception, cream injection interception. Uh, Jonathan Joseph, I believe, almost had another one. He that did. would have been a pick six to end the game in regulation. Yeah, that's my man, Joe. <laughs> he came up just a tad short. You know, it was one of those. He he could have, but he didn't. You know, it, it went to overtime. They still got the win, so all was good. But how about that Matthew pickup in the off season to translate on the field? Yeah, that that was a big signing. I I've always been a fan. Tyron Matthews since he got to the NFL. Um, I liked him in college too. 
and so when I saw that he was available, you know, even when he was on Arizona, I was always like, you know, Texans, just surprise us. Just get him in a trade or something. Just pick him up when he becomes a free agent. You know, who knows? You know, that was always... That was always kind of one of those, I know it probably won't happen, but I'd love to see it kind of, you know, picks. And then whenever they got him in free agency, I was surprised and I was excited. And this is one of the reasons why, because especially with Andre Howell still out, but possibly returning uh, before the end of the season now that he's in remission uh, from his Hopkins lymphoma, um, you know, really for Matthew, he's he's had to step up as that leader in the secondary, and he's he's done a, a really great job, him and J.J. kind of teaming up as the veteran leadership, you know, in that secondary, in that back four, really trying to uh, minimize the big plays. And you don't really see those big plays as much um, besides that one, you know, connection to the tight end, I think. Um, yeah, for like 40-something yards. Yeah. I mean, Dak threw a bomb down the field. Yeah, but other than that, I mean, you really saw – yeah, it was really it was for real. the first time this year. The secondary really being able to step up and limit those plays for ninety nine percent of the game. That's something we haven't seen in honestly a few years from the Texans secondary. Yeah, it was it was good to watch. You know, there wasn't there was never that big play. I was happy with that. The uh, the Cowboys, you know, they're not really that big of a deep threat anymore. Without Dez on the team, they don't really have that receiver, that go to receiver to. You know, run down the field, especially with the surprise retirement of Witten. You know, that's just one of those. I think they're in a rebuild mode, but they're going to try to win while they can. And the Texans defense, you know, started acting like the Texans defense and was ready to go. Now, kind of looking at a different um, scenario in this win here before we move on to uh, some other NFL action. Like I mentioned a couple weeks ago, the Texans were um, were zero and three. Yeah. They they started out slow, weren't doing so well. All of a sudden, two weeks go by, two overtime victories, one against a key uh, AFC South matchup against the Colts that they needed, and now for the Battle of I forty five rivalry that they now get to hold over Dallas for the next four years. Very happy about that. But uh, two big wins that they needed at this time in the season. Just a couple weeks ago, they had a 2% chance of winning heading into week four, or getting to the playoffs heading into week four. They now have a 22% chance of getting to the the postseason, into the NFL playoffs. And with a win to get back to 500 this weekend, they go to a 38% chance of winning. Is this, this, is this the start of a turnaround that we're seeing? Is this the start of what could potentially be a playoff push for the Texans. Definitely, this is a this is a turnaround. The team is playing like a team. You know, they're going to overtime to win these games, but they're not giving up on each other. They're playing together. They want to win. They're just they look like a team to be messed with. You know, they're they're ready to roll. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins or Deshaun Watson looks like he's ready and he's you know ready to roll again. You know, he threw for three hundred and seventy five yards. This man, he's he's not scared. He did take some nasty hits, though. I wish they would. I wish he would learn to slide or get out of bounds. I don't just you know. I think at the end of the day, he wound up with some bruised ribs. I know they were checking him on the sideline a lot. Uh, it's a scary sight to see when you see your you know your franchise quarterback like that getting checked on the sideline, especially the ribs. 
So it's just one of those, you know, better protection, but he's just a playmaker. And, you know, it's just it's amazing to see him run around that field and just chunk the ball or run it if he needs to. Yeah, it really is. And honestly, kind of like you said, it is um, not something you like to see, kind of like watching Ty Brock for Sam Houston State play when, you know, he goes on a quarterback run and he gets drilled, you know, either when he slides or, you know, without sliding, just bull rushes a guy or tries to at least. Um, you know, it's something you don't <laughs> you don't want to see it as much because it obviously heightens up the risk of your your quarterback, your guy, your man getting hurt and, you know, possibly knocking himself out for the rest of the game, if not longer. So definitely something you don't want to see as much. Um, but I will say that for me, this is a game that, for at least for Deshaun Watson's sake, you know, I didn't have any doubts about him. I knew, you know, he's he's the guy, he's the man that's not going to change. But his performance pretty much solidified to me that he's going to, he's not there quite yet. But at some point this season, he will get back to that Deshaun Watson that we saw a glimpse of in 2017. Oh, definitely. You know, he's already starting, throwing 375 yards. I want to say he's done for that two games in a row now. Um, he started out, I think, 9 of 10 for completions. I think he's ready. He's comfortable back there. And I think this is going to be a turnaround for the Texans, and they'll start making a playoff push. Now, speaking of another uh, overtime victory, the Cleveland Browns, how about a third overtime game this season? They played in five games, and they've had three of them in overtime. They picked up their second win of the season, if you can believe it. Cleveland wins more than one. They First off, they won a game. Then they win more than one. Now they've got two. They're at 502-2-1, beating the Ravens in overtime 12-9. Not really that much offense, just like the, the Cowboys and Texans game. But, I mean, hey, here's my question. Are the Browns starting to... You kind of look at that AFC North now. I believe the Browns are... Sitting in second place, if I remember right, are they starting to turn into a serious contender for a chance to get into the the playoffs and even have a chance at winning the division title? I think this year the Browns, if they make the playoffs, it would be as a wild card team. They have the pieces and they're working on putting them together. You know, they lost to Baltimore this weekend, but Baltimore does look like a team to be reckoned with. They look like they can make a push. You can never, you know, completely count out the Steelers. They are in a tough division. The Bengals are even, you know, 4-1 and one right now. So it's just a, it's a matter of letting them play together and building up chemistry. But I think next year, these Browns, they could definitely be an AFC North contender, you know, battling for the number one spot and trying to get into the playoffs for an actual and host a playoff game. Yeah, right now, looking at the standings, they're sitting half a game behind uh, the Baltimore Ravens at 2-2-1, two, two, and one. Ravens at 3-2, and two. the Bengals leading the division at 4-1. and one. Uh, Right now, the only reason why Cleveland's not in last is because they have the tiebreaker over the Steelers, getting the, uh, the overtime tie, uh, I believe, at home. And so... I guess in that situation, tiebreaker, point differential, yada, yada, yada. But I think it also has to do with division record because Pittsburgh doesn't have a win in the division. They're all 1-1. One one. 
Cleveland's 1-0-1. They haven't lost anybody in the AFC North, if you can believe that. So, you know, it's it's a feel-good story, especially after Hard Knocks. You kind of see it with a few teams. They'll go on Hard Knocks as much as they don't want to. They'll go on Hard Knocks, and then all of a sudden they'll have some kind of season. I'm not trying to say this is all storybook and yada, 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 but the Browns are having a season that that franchise desperately needed, especially Baker Mayfield. He's having a he's having a decent start, you know, now that he's actually starting games and he's playing for the Browns, things like that. He's he's not having too terrible of a start, honestly. No, he's not. Uh, you know, last week he lost, but they went to overtime against the Raiders. Uh, that game they should have won, definitely. Yeah, the NFL came out and said, you know, we should have awarded y'all that turnover by Derek Carr. They didn't. Um... The Raiders got lucky. They got their first win. You know, the Browns easily could be sitting at 4-1 and or 5-0 and right now had different calls gone their way. Uh, it's crazy to think about that. You know, Baker Mayfield has come in. You know, he's taken over the team as a rookie. And it's just crazy to watch him run around the field and be that play caller and be a playmaker for that team that just needed somebody to step up and lead them. I'd, I'd feel... A, it, Baker is just doing a great job out there. Uh, you know, he did throw an interception early, but that interception came with two eleven left in the first quarter, and he never he didn't make another mistake. Uh, they had a they had some trouble driving the ball. You know, they had punts all through the first half, uh, and then they finally got a touchdown. And I think once that team starts rolling and getting mojo, they'll be ready to roll. Speaking of a team on a roll right now, the Kansas City Chiefs with a playmaker of their own and Patrick Mahomes, he is he is something else, I tell you what. They're going against none other than the New England Patriots, who, and I still love to say this, lost the last Super Bowl against the Philadelphia Eagles. Still, still wonderful to say that they lost. But uh, going against Tom Brady, going against New England, Sunday night football, it's going to be quite the opposite of what this past Sunday night football game was. Still going to be, you know, probably as exciting, if not a little more. But there's going to be a lot more offense. Five and O Chiefs, three and two Patriots, Mahomes versus Brady. What are you looking forward to in that matchup? I'm looking for a great offensive matchup. Both teams don't really have the strongest defense in the world. You know, the Patriots never really have the defense. They keep up an offense. The Chiefs somehow, well, the Chiefs forced interceptions this weekend with Blake Bortles. They had a pick six, you know, Mahomes didn't even throw for a touchdown. He threw his first interception. Uh, I want to say maybe the little hype is over, but I don't want to say he's completely done. New England's going to be the real test for to see if Mahomes is going to keep up with what he's doing and if he's going to continue or not. I think he, he will continue, but he will definitely be slowed down a lot and maybe throw a couple more interceptions throughout the year, and, you know, I don't know if he will have the shot at the touchdown for the year uh, record. But, you know, with that game, you never know. He could turn it on one week and throw six again. Now, kind of before we move on to Major League Baseball here, Mahomes versus Brady, you just mentioned it a little bit. Mahomes, you know, doing pretty well in his quote-unquote rookie season, you know. Um, obviously didn't play last year except for week 17 um, of last season. Now this is really his first season as the guy. His, you know, This is his team now. And then, of course, you got Brady. 
the veteran, the five-time Super Bowl champion, you know, the as much as I hate to say it, the face of the NFL. You who, think Brady's the face of the NFL? You don't think I, it's like a Rodgers or... Unfortunately, yeah. I wish... I wish it was somebody else besides Brady. Heck, make it J.J. Watt. But as far as the way the world looks at the NFL and the way that sports media looks at the NFL, it's a quarterback-driven league. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the best quarterback in the league right now, as everybody's saying, is Tom Brady. So, you know, that's just, unfortunately, by default, that's what it is. Like I said, I wish it was somebody else. Please make it somebody else. How about that Green Bay game? Just to throw that in there. Yeah, that was... <laughs> Poor Crosby. Missed five, <laughs> oh, my God. Missed five kicks. That I... just shows you how good Rodgers is, though. They still only yeah. lost by eight. Yeah, I'm, I am, um, I'm glad that... Uh, I'm glad that the... That I don't have Mason Crosby on my fantasy team. Now, granted... I have Robbie Gold. He still got me zero fantasy points this week. So it's kind of the same deal. But <laughs> that's only because Greg Zerline's still on my bench, but should be coming back this week. So I'm finally happy. I can bench Robbie Gold. I can bring back my Rams kicker. I'm all good to go. But yeah, no, Mason Crosby, that <laughs> he's somebody I had last year too. And I've always liked him. I've always thought he's a good kicker. I've always thought he's one of the better kickers in the league. Um... But yeah, like I understand, you know, you you know, you'll miss one, two in a game, sure. But missing five, that is just something else. I tell you what, I mean Yeah, it's it's incredible. Uh you know, but they still almost won the game. I just it's amazing. You know, if he'd have made two more of those, yeah. what would the game have come? Yeah, no kidding. That would have <laughs> it would have made it a lot closer of a of a matchup, that is for sure. Uh, looking at Major League Baseball now, kind of switching gears here. Uh, the Astros, Dodgers, and Brewers have already clinched their tickets. The Astros getting the sweep against the Indians uh, yesterday. The Dodgers getting their series victory in three games to one. Um, and then, of course, the Brewers getting... I think they were the first team to actually clinch uh, a ticket to the championship series. Uh, so now, <laughs> all that's left... Red Sox and Yankees, of course, in a divisional series. Most people would have loved to see in the championship series, but this is what we got. So the ALDS, Red Sox-Yankees. Red Sox up 2-1 to one in the series, courtesy of a 16-1 to one dominating victory yesterday against the boys of the Bronx. Here's my question. So many people are like, yeah. Yeah, Judge, Stanton, you know, we got to get them to the CS. we got to get them to the CS, otherwise it's a disappointment. But wouldn't it be more of a disappointment if the Red Sox didn't get to the ALCS? Definitely, you know, being that number one team in the league with 108 wins, that's not hard to do. That's a team game for 162 games out of the year. That's difficult to do. You know, it's difficult enough just to even make the playoffs two years in a row. But 108 wins, that's just crazy. And, you know, if the Red Sox don't make it, they did lose to the Yankees, but that's just going to make the rivalry even worse. The The Red Sox, I don't think they'll get it tonight. I think that that will go at Game 5. I don't think, you know, Judge and uh, Giancarlo Stanton are going to let them go home tonight, you know, with the champagne parade and their own 
their own house. But you never know what happens. It just depends. You know, the Astros were winning games by, they won game two, three to one. They won game one. I want to say it was two to one. You know, they were barely winning. And all of a sudden, the bats showed up and they they destroyed him yesterday. You know, Correa launched a three-run homer for his first hit of the postseason. You know, it's just good that they're getting ready to go. And I'm happy to see what they do. Yeah, no, I'm, personally, I'm rooting for Boston. You know, I... Oh, for, me too. For, I think Boston will be easier. Yeah, yeah. for me, and it's weird to say, because they're they're literally, they have the number one record in the American League, and I think the number two in all of baseball. I don't remember exactly Mm-mm. final numbers. They have number one. But, uh, but, yeah, no, honestly, I would rather go against Mookie Betts, Chris Sell, and all those guys. I'd rather go against the Red Sox than I would going against Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, you know, all those guys, Masahiro Tanaka, all of them, once again in the ALCS, where the Astros in that series would once again have home field. I just, I would rather go against Boston, because for me, kind of like you said, Boston... And Boston's an easier matchup for Houston. As weird as that is to say, it's an easier matchup for Houston. Definitely. And, you know, the Astros play better on the road anyway, so why not, you know, make that Game 7 on the road? They did it last year in L.A. Uh, I just I just think Boston, you know, our pitchers in Verlander and Keiko, they give up the long ball, and that's what the Yankees are built on. So it's just one of those, like, you know, I'd rather them score on me by getting hits, not launching them out of the park. And I think our guys will do better against the Red Sox. And it's just going to be a fun, probably, you know, seven-game series of good baseball and ready to go and fighting for a chance to be the world champions. Now, quick quick note here before we uh, preview Dodgers and Brewers. Looking at that starting rotation you just mentioned for Houston, I, I look at it, right? And then I look at some of the better... Rotations of the 90s. Look at the Atlanta Braves. You've got some of the best rotations in probably baseball history. Especially, especially in 1999. Where you're you're basically your five. Tom Glavin, you got Maddox, Millwood, Smoltz, and Perez. That's your five. That team won 103 games in 1999. You look at the starting rotation this year, basically the same, 103 wins. you got Verlander, you've got Cole, you've got McCullers, you, who's actually in the bullpen for this ALDS. You've got Keuchel, you know, you've got all these guys. You've got, in my opinion, probably the best rotation that I've seen in Houston history, but also... A rotation that's comparable to the 90s Braves rotation. Yeah, their rotation is amazing. You don't see that. And I like it. You know, we finished off the Indians in three games. So now our bullpen's going to get a rest because I believe that round two won't start or the CS. I want to say it's going to start Sunday and if not Monday for the AL because I know the NL has been a day It should start this Saturday, I believe. Saturday? Yeah. Because I know game sevens were Friday. Yeah, so it should be it should be uh, this Saturday if I'm because I remember Julia Morales tweeting, I think she said ALCS this Saturday. So 
That's what I'm assuming. Um, but yeah, no, that just just personal thing for me. I and I this came to mind uh, during yesterday, or actually a couple of days before, while I was at NRG Stadium for Battle of the Piney Woods this past weekend, which we will recap later on in the show. Um, you know, I'm just sitting there thinking. You know, this Astros rotation is just something astronomical. You don't see it in baseball much, this this pool of talent. All at the same time, with such a low ERA and such dominance from the arms. Because the way baseball is going nowadays, you have more dominance from your lineup, from your hitters, from your batters, from the power guys. You know, you still see a lot of dominance from pitchers. But the way baseball is going, it's turning into a little bit more of an offensive game now. Just a tiny bit. Not as much, but it's turning into a little bit more of an offensive game. Yeah, it definitely is. You know, you see the teams like the Red Sox, they put up 16 last night. You know, the Astros put up 11. It's definitely becoming... Even the Dodgers, the Dodgers put up 6, had to come from behind to beat the Braves. Uh, you know, it's a good good matchups, offenses. It's definitely an offensive series, or offensive league now. Uh, I like that the Astros are you know, bringing back the defense and letting the defense win games. Uh, it's just a good mix. Um, I'm excited. You know, I want to see what happens tonight between the Yankees and the Red Sox. Would be a great game five, game four, to see if we'll get to a game five or not. Now, before we move on to some NBA talk, Dodgers and Brewers, both teams, they've clinched their ticket to the NLCS. L.A. obviously trying to get back to the World Series. They beat the Braves in three games to one. Uh, and then you've got the Rockies, who won the wild card game against the Cubs. And then they swept the Brewers, who were the number one seed in all the National League. They swept them in three games and are now just four wins away from a World Series. Honestly, <laughs> honestly, not going to lie, this is probably going to be one of the better... NLCS is that we've seen in a long time. Definitely, you know, I think the Brewers have a shot to take it to a game seven. Uh, it's going to be good. The Dodgers, they, they're starting to gain their steam. You know, they, they had a rough year at the beginning, but they're ready to roll, and they look like they're going to be a force to reckon with. And it's going to be a great uh, end of the year for the postseason. Looking forward to all of the matches. But, you know, the Dodgers-Brewers, nobody wanted to, or nobody expected the Brewers to even be there. And here they are. You know, it's it's one of those, like, are they going to surprise everybody and make a run for a World Series? Or are they just going to fall flat and let the Dodgers win? Or see, we'll see what happens. You know, honestly, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's going to be a good series. You know, I I still thought the Brewers had another year or two before they get back to the postseason, before they get to somewhere kind of like they are now where they could really contend and they even have home field advantage. I didn't expect them, like you said, and I didn't really expect many people to, you know, especially them of all people, to have that uh, that that home field advantage throughout the National League playoffs. So it's definitely a surprise for me. Um, this should be, like I said, one of the better National League matches that we've seen. In quite a long time. Yeah, nobody expected him to get by the Cubs in the the uh, playoff game. The uh, actually, it was the the extra regulation game to see who gets the division. Uh, it was a, overall, it was just a great matchup. I'm excited to see what happens. 
Now let's move on to the NBA here. The NBA season. Right now they're in the preseason. they got about another week, week and a half before the regular season. Probably a little under a week or so before the regular season officially kicks off and gets underway. Finally, basketball is back. <laughs> Honestly, uh, I kind of look around the league. You know, and I'm just looking at a few of these teams, and I'm thinking, who's going to be that one dark horse? Who's going to be that team that comes out of nowhere and who's going to just kind of flip around, you know, their season and and just surprise everyone, get to the playoffs? Just who's going to be that team? You know, I don't know if it's much as of of, of a surprise they've been to the playoffs the last couple of years, but I think it's going to be Oklahoma City. Nope. <laughs> I I think you know. They got Melo out. They have, you know, now they have Westbrook and Paul George to start. I think they will become a team, and they'll, as much as Westbrook doesn't pass the ball, I think him and Paul George have a bond that they're going to start, uh, you know, just dominating the league, and we'll see what happens. But, you know, I don't know if they're really going to be considered a sleeper team this year at all. But they're really, I think they'll come out and they're going to have a great, strong team and be a force to reckon with. You know, I kind of look around the uh, the league here and, you know, I just kind of see the same thing as usual. The West loaded with teams, you know, that are usually pretty good. There's usually t- 10 of the 15 teams are fighting for a playoff spot. And then usually in the Eastern Conference, it's usually the top six or seven seeds that actually have a winning record. So, you know, <laughs> if, it's... If. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's just kind of, you know, same as usual in the NBA. But I kind of look at a few of these teams, you know, and, you know, kind of like you said, this may not be as much of a surprise. But I really feel like Boston is going get to get over that hump. They're going to have Gordon Hayward, Hayward back, hopefully, for a full season gruesome injury he suffered last year. That was so heartbreaking because that was the big thing with Gordon Hayward was there. Kyrie Irving has now said he wants to stay in Boston and he's going to re-sign with the Celtics at season's end. So now you've got to solidify those two men, you know, as the, the leaders of the team. You've got, you know, what is pretty much a good nucleus. You know, you've got Marcus Morris. you got Marcus Smart in there. You know, like I said, Gordon Hayward. You've got... Kyrie Irving, that's basically the starting lineup there. You got Al Horford, you know, who's going to be a good player. Jason Tatum's a good veteran as well. You know, this is, you know, for me, I I just look at this team and, you know, for whatever reason, I just, I can't get them out of my head. I just, I, I keep looking at them and I keep saying, this team's going to be in the NBA Finals this year. Definitely, I think the only team that's really going to give them a run is going to be the 76ers. Without a doubt. Without um, a doubt. There's just not really many people in the West, I mean in the East, you know, especially after LeBron left, that kind of destroyed yeah. the Cavaliers. It destroyed the Eastern Conference. And so there's not really anybody to contest with the loaded Celtics and the, you know, the 76ers are... You know, they're all young, but they're loaded. They're ready to go. Uh, I don't know. Are they getting Markel Fultz back this year? Hmm. I'm not, not 100% sure, honestly. I mean, I know they have some, some first-rounders that are on the bench, you know, ready to go. But at the at the season, you know, I don't know who's going to be starting for them. You know, Joel Embiid, he's just a monster. 
Right. He's also great on Twitter. If yeah. you ever want to follow yes. him. Yes, he is. Uh, it's just going to be one of those things that if they get healthy, it's going to be a game. A great, you know, in the East, it's just going to be who gets it, the Celtics or the 76ers. I don't think there's real real competition out there besides them. And just think a few years ago, this conversation would have never occurred. Oh, definitely. It would have been, you know, LeBron versus somebody else. Yeah. It would have never been 76ers, Celtics. It would have been Cavs. What, Cavs, Celtics, Cavs, Toronto. Cavs, Toronto. <laughs> I would have probably said with Kyrie, or Kyle Lowry, you know, and... What was DeMar DeRozan before he got traded away for whatever reason? I'm still trying to figure that one out myself, but... Yeah, that was, that was a move by Toronto. Yeah, that completely surprised me. I, Toronto basically just decided to abandon what, in my opinion, was their franchise player. They were a contender, they had a good coach, which they, by the way, fired for whatever stupid reason. And but, he got coach of the year. Exactly. And three days later, they said, you're out. Doesn't make any sense. But whatever. I'm not. There's a reason why I'm not an NBA executive. Because I do a lot of things emotionally. So, there you go. But. Yeah, I just, I think they're putting all their all their uh, marbles in the bag with, yeah. you know, uh, Kawhi. Who, I still can't tell if he wants to be there or not. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think anyone can tell. But, I will say, though, he did crack a smile and then he made that. That Whatever laugh. that Bane kind of laugh that you... <laughs> I don't know what that was, but it sounded like something out of a, a Michael Myers movie, honestly, but... Yeah, that was that was different. <laughs> um, that had the sports world buzzing for a that, little while. <laughs> I, and it, it's funny now because people have turned it into gifts and they'll just use it. So it's like, great, we're now going to be hearing this for the next year and a half. It's wonderful. Yeah, that was... That's kind of scary. Yeah, just, just a little <laughs> bit. But um, something else that's uh, scary slash interesting, but not really, before we move on to Sam Houston football, Tillman Fertitta, the owner of the Houston Rockets, a little bit before we actually started recording this this episode, he actually uh, came out with a quote talking about, because the big buzz about Jimmy Butler, where he's going to go, Rockets still being a potential player, you know, in that, trying to come up with uh, with a trade creatively, according to some sources. This is the exact quote that Tillman Fertitta put out about when asked about, you know, bringing Jimmy Butler home to Houston. He said, quote, We'd love to see Jim- We would love to see Jimmy come home to Houston. It's not a financial decision. It's an asset decision on our part. We've got a great basketball team. We think we're as good as anybody in the league. We're not going to give up unreasonable assets to break up this team to get Jimmy Butler. But we'd love to have him. Your thoughts on that? What that tells me is they want, you know, some starters and probably some bench people from the Rockets that they're not quite ready to give up. If I had to guess, I'd say Eric Gordon would probably be included in the trade. It has to be. And that's probably one of the main reasons why they don't want to do it. Eric Gordon's been amazing coming off being our sixth man for so long. And now he's probably going to be a starter. And yeah, now he'll probably start. It's just going to be one of those things that, you know, if things fall into place, maybe it happens. But, you know, like we've said before, we just we didn't think it would really happen between what they wanted and what we were willing to give. Yeah, we talked a little about it, uh, a little bit about it in last week's episode about, you know, where is he going to go, the potential of, you know, where he might end up, you know, and the potential of Houston, but... 
you know, kind of like you just said, we mentioned that really the Rockets would have to give up too much, and they're not trying to break up this nucleus, you know, of this of this team just yet. Yeah, they're just. It's one of those things that they probably want just one player too many, but it's not all worth it in the end. Yeah, it's. You know, kind of like you said, they probably have to give up Eric Gordon. They, you know, they probably have to pick up, give up Peach, somebody like PJ Tucker. Yeah. You know, which is probably besides Clint Capella right now and Chris Paul, the best defender that the Houston Rockets have. Boy, that Capella, that Capella contract scared me. I thought he was going to be a Laker. <laughs> that that scared me too. I'm like, especially after a couple of tweets that he made. Uh, and saying that he is in L.A., you know, and giving some frowny faces about, you know, on social media with those emojis about, you know, certain contract negotiations, things falling through, whatever. And, yeah, it not going to lie, it did scare me for a little bit, too, because if okay. we lost Capella, we, that's it. We're not beating the Warriors. Not we lose Capella, we're not beating the Warriors. And as much as you had love and have Chris Paul and James Harden, you don't have Capella. You don't have an interior defense. You don't have a defense, period. Yeah, you'd be playing games and winning games 130 to 114 Yeah, at that point. (laughs) Yeah, you'd almost have to. It'd look like an NBA All-Star game, Yeah, which has really just disappointed me the last few years with the lack of defense. Uh, Let's go ahead and let's get to the last few parts of our show here. Let's talk some Sam Houston football. Battle of the Piney Woods. 93rd edition, or 94th edition, actually. Um, Bearcats getting the victory. Eighth straight victory now, which is a overall series record between the two. Uh, getting the win 56-21 to over Stephen F. Austin. And getting to keep the Piney Woods trophy in their hands for another season. I got to hold the trophy. First off, it's a little bit heavier than you might think. <laughs> But second off, it's it, you know talking to the team afterwards. It's it almost felt like they won a Super Bowl. It almost felt like there was a weight lifted off the team, you know, because there's been so much, you know, not only riding off of this game, this series, but this was a game that they needed going into it. You know, two and two and two. You know, they they needed to get this victory to, especially for Ty Brock, this being his second game that he's actually started, you know, and really trying to prove that he is the guy, you know, for the Bearcats. He's the guy that can take this team, you know, to the playoffs, possibly be in contention for a Southland title. May not get it this year, depending on how McNeese and Incarnate Word decide, you know, if they ever decide to lose a game this season. But, you know, it's... It was it was a big big win and talking to the guys you know being around the guys you know after the game and stuff like that it just it seemed like a huge weight lifted off their shoulders. Yeah, it has to be. You know, they started out they were two and two and two going in. They started one and two before last weekend. Uh, you know, you have your big rivalry game against you know SFA. Um, the past eight years, it's been very one sided. Um, but you can't overlook that every year. You never know what's going to happen. You know, Sam's been having some quarterback issues the past, you know, a few games. Uh, they finally got Ty Brock in there to go. He went 16-26 for 217 yards. You know, he did throw that interception early, but 
he recovered and he, you know, he showed and led the team to victory. And it just shows that they're not ready to give up. They're ready to go at the end of the day. Now they're sitting at three and two. They're over 500. They look like they're ready to go and they're going to just keep rolling through the division. You know, that's another conference win. So now they're two and one on the year in the conference play, a three and two total. It's just going to be one of those things that now that they're rolling, it's going to be hard for them to stop at the end of the day. You know, it's hopefully this is the the turnaround that that they really need, honestly, this season. You know, you've got a, a few big matchups. You know, heading into the rest of the season, you only have a, a couple more home games, a lot a lot of road games this year uh, for Sam Houston. Uh, you know, you've got it's going to get a little easier heading into the rest of the season. Uh, you do have Northwestern in Natatoches. And yes, that is correct. It's not Nacogdoches, thank goodness. It's Natatoches. Um, so this Saturday, you know, they're on the road once again. They're then on the road at Lamar before they come home. So they've got, basically right now they're on a three-game road schedule. I know there is that neutral game at an RG for Piney Woods. I consider that as a road game personally. If you got to get on a bus, it's a road game. Exactly. But I will say there was about... 20,000-ish fans for this for Sam Houston supporting the Blue and Orange at that game. That in I think the total attendance, if I remember right, was somewhere around 20, 26,000 or 24,000. So it was, a, it was a good showing by Sam Houston for sure. So it made it feel more like a home game, and that's usually what happens in this game. But you have the road game against Northwestern State. You have the road game against Lamar. Before you come home against Southeastern Louisiana. Then you go on the road again to Incarnate Word. Come home for Abilene Christian. And then end the season on the road at Houston Baptist. So the schedule is a little bit lighter. Because they had a front-heavy schedule going against Central Arkansas. Nichols. You know, North Dakota. Prairie View even gave us you know, a run for their money. You know, North Dakota. That was supposed to be an easier win. That was supposed to be a game that we should have had. But... The struggles we had in that game were just too much. We ended up losing in a huge, huge upset. But Bearcats, they're still ranked right now, and so is about half, almost half of the Southland Conference. Uh, you know, you have McNeese ranked. They're still undefeated. You have Central Arkansas still ranked. You have Sam Houston still ranked, you know, and you have uh, Nichols still ranked, you know. And I kind of look at the Southland, and it's, it's pretty impressive to see how um, how these teams are ranked and how how much of the Southland Conference itself is ranked in that top 25. Sam Houston State jumping up a couple spots now to number 15 in the nation. They were 17th heading into the game against Stephen F. Austin. They're now 15. You got McNeese who stays at number nine in the con- in the country. Uh, Nichols jumps up from 12 to 11. And then you got Central Arkansas after their loss against us. They drop way down in the rankings. They move up to 18 from 20. So really, a good portion of you know the top 18 spots have four of those spots occupied by Southland teams. Most of those teams, or Central Arkansas and Nichols, we already played against. Went one and one against them. McNeese, we don't play at all this year. So the rest of the schedule, as far as that goes... The rest of the schedule is pretty light 
There's a lot of winnable games. Incarnate Word is probably as much of a surprise as this is to say, especially in the past few years. Incarnate Word looks to be the biggest battle and the toughest opponent for the rest of the season. Yeah, they do. Um, you know, nobody else that we play is, is ranked as of yet. You know, that doesn't say they're not going to be ranked by the time we play them. You never know how a team is going to go. But, you know, you see Northwestern and then you see Lamar and you're thinking, all right, you know, you need to stay focused, but there should be, you know, easier wins. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the schedule does get lighter. They just need to keep winning and hope that teams lose or else, you know, they're going to lose a spot and they won't quite make it to that playoff. So now we're going to go ahead and uh, wrap up the show here with a segment that I think we, we can say we both enjoy. I think Colton may enjoy it a, a, a lot more. It's the uh, the rant of the week. We introduced it last week, and uh, it, it seems to it seems to be a favorite, especially among us two. So we're going to go ahead and we'll bring it back for another episode, bring it back for the rest of this podcast. So the rant of the week, once again, we will start with you, Colton. What is your rant of the week? You don't have a rant. <laughs> what What's the one thing in sports that it really upsets you that you haven't already talked about last week with the touchback rule? Because we all know, as, you know, if you go back and you listen, that was uh, that was a very passionate uh, a point from from Mister Colton Foster here. I guess the, the thing that really kind of bothers me is the way teams get ranked in college football. Uh, it's just weird to see how teams, you know, they can barely lose at a number three spot, and then next thing you know, they're bumped out of the top 15. But then you get teams, they get blown out, and then they wind up, you know, only dropping a few spots. Like over the weekend, you know, Florida, Florida beat LSU, and, you know, they moved up, but LSU didn't quite move back that far. Um, you know, Texas, I want to say, was ranked 19 going in. They they beat Oklahoma. Now, given Oklahoma did come back and make it a game, you know, Texas still won 48 to 45. But Oklahoma, you know, they just dropped to number 11. And Texas moved up to number 9. So it's like, you know, it was a very contested game. But why is it that Texas jumps up, you know, 10 spots and, you know, Oklahoma moves back 5 or 6? Four letters. ESPN. Yeah, it's all about the views, you know. It makes whatever makes the money for them. It's just it bothers me that stuff like that, you know. There's teams that get blown out by, like Alabama. I don't think they've played anybody all year, and you know they're sitting at number one. So I want to see what happens when they start facing a team like LSU, and if if they get a close win, why why won't they get you know bumped back a little bit? If some teams can win close and then fall, it's just weird how they do it. And there's too many polls, you know, you have coaches poll, the AP poll, just way too many of those. Like, just pick one and let it go. And then you throw in the college playoff, and then it just starts getting even worse. You know, everybody's like, oh, well, this team lost to this team. But if you lose, you know, week 10 versus week 1, odds are you're still, you're not going to make it. But if you lose, week, like Texas lost week 1 to Maryland. But if they come back, win the, end of the, win the rest of the games and go, I would say, 9-1 and one or 11-1, and one, depending on their schedule, you know, they they have a shot to make the playoff if they keep winning. But if an Alabama loses in week 12 or week 11 to Auburn, 
you know, it's does Auburn deserve it over Alabama? Even yes. though Alabama <laughs> won every other game. So it, at the end of the day, it's like it just is one of those where you just wish it was a little bit more yeah. in depth and they actually didn't just go off of how much money a team makes. Yep. Yeah. Now, my rant of the week kind of goes back to an earlier point we were talking about, um, especially when we were talking about uh, the NFL. It goes back to that one-yard line, half-yard line situation. You, We saw it in the Super Bowl. We saw Pete Carroll, basically the same mentality that you were thinking of, uh, Colton, with the fact that you know you think, okay, they're going to run it here at the one-yard line, the half-yard line. Let's throw a pass in there, throw them off a little bit. We may have a better shot. No, you don't. You but, just, no, you don't. But thank you, Pete Carroll, because Malcolm Butler's interception was pretty fun to watch <laughs> when no, the Patriots won that Super no. Bowl. No, it was not. But see, see now, now you're now you're getting now you're getting me all riled up here. No, but you're on the half yard line. You're on the one yard. If you're inside three yards, you better be handing the ball off to your running back or your fullback or your de facto tight end slash back. Hand it off. Let them ball rush over the middle. Even in that situation, you did, on the one yard line, half yard line, you even throw a hesitation in there. You do a hesitation handoff, you wait for the pile to mostly, you know, just jump on, and then you just dive right over the middle. Now it sounds a lot, e- it's a lot easier said than done. But, that for me, if I was a coach, if I play Madden, which I do, that is the way I go. You are inside the two-yard line. You run the dang football. That is all that there is to it. You run the football, you are inside three yards. You run, you run, you run. And if you don't get it, you either, A, go for it on fourth down, because what do you have to lose? Or, B, you kick the what would be like a 15-yard field goal, you get the three points, and you move on. Yeah, I think the best part about that whole situation is last year, Derek Carr tweeted out, we have Marshawn Lynch, there's no way I'm throwing the ball on the one-yard line. Sure enough, he throws the ball on the one-yard line, and he throws an interception so it's one of those, like, how many times is it going to take before a team realizes, hey, why don't we do what we've always done and just let it go? My point exactly. So that'll do it for this week of Behind the Mic. Thank you once again for tuning in. And if you are still here with us by the end of it, almost an hour, thank you. <laughs> because you are the most loyal listeners that that we have. We We appreciate it. We appreciate you listening to us, being able to... Let us blab about sports for, you know, about an hour or so. You can follow us, you know, follow me on Twitter at JordanSmithPXP to, you know, see any stories that I write for the Houstonian. You can see, you know, highlights of the show, which you can also follow at BTM Sports Blog. Um, You know, you can really, you can tune in uh, and you can... You can really, you can follow, you can follow everything that I do. You can listen to my broadcast, things like that. and just talk sports. Um, Colton, is the question of the day, do you have your Twitter? We do have a Twitter. Yeah, he's got a Twitter. There is a now a Twitter for me. It is ColtonFoss16. Um, yeah, I'm starting to use it more. Get into it. I just, I've never been a big Twitter person, but I'm getting into it now. So there's more to come. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. We finally convinced him. He finally has a Twitter now, so... Go give him a follow, and uh, let's see what else he's got. Now, 
since this is recorded on Tuesday, we've got a volleyball match to go to tonight. So let's see the Bearcats get another conference victory and get to win number 12 on the season. That'll do it for the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Jordan Smith. Foster. And that'll do it for Behind the Mic. We'll see you again next week.